Luke chapter 8. We're in Luke chapter 8 here. And we're going to be in verses 1 through 3. These are the times where I'm like, do we really want to slow down that much? It's going to take us forever to get through Luke. <laughs> but it's like, yo, know, I was like, okay, there's a whole nother section that we're getting up to. And I'm like, yeah, this needs to be, you have its own week, but it's only three verses. But three verses, here we go. Luke chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. Afterward, he was traveling from one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news of the kingdom of God. The twelve were with him, and also some women, who had been healed of evil spirits and sicknesses. Mary, called Magdalene, seven demons had come out of, jo of her. Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward, Susanna, and many others who were supporting them from their possessions. Holy Spirit, we pray right now that you would give us a revelation of this passage, Lord, that you would speak uh, through my mouth, Lord, that I would be a tool for you to proclaim your truth here uh, today, God, in, in this gathering. And I just pray, Lord, that, uh, Lord, that you would be a, a refreshing uh, drink of living water here uh, today as we gather and as we open up your word and as we hear what you would have to say to your church. For it's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. All right, well, could we get some, some light here up, up here? Uh, so we have been following this, uh, this train of, of thought. So here, the first one, the thing I want to focus on tonight is where are we? Like, where are we in this? So as we talk about, we were in Nain for a good, a good while, a good few weeks here. Um, and now, if you look at this, he says, afterward, he was traveling from one town to another. So that, that word afterward is actually kind of a combination of two words. And it just simply means a sometime in the future. Sure. So this is kind of one of those time breaks. So now you know, it's kind of the, you know, the, the fade out in a movie. Right? They faded out one scene, and now they're fading up another scene at, you know, an undisclosed amount of, of days later, right? Uh, or weeks or months. We don't know. And so this is just Luke catching up. So really, this is actually the start of a chapter, uh, I would call it a chapter of Luke for him. Not chapter 8, but this would be a chapter that Luke is, is highlighting. And it's, it goes, in our Bibles, from 8 to 9 to 10 to, uh, gosh, even 11 and 12. And even, I think, in the 13 and then 14. Like, there's this, like, specifically, like, 8 through at least, you know, 10, if not 11, there's just this, this, this chapter in the life of Jesus that he wants to just slow down and spend a lot of time on. He wants to unpack um, what he's trying to say. And uh, in, this, in this passage here specifically, uh, we have been seeing a lot of what Jesus has done. A lot of healing, a lot of ministry, a lot of, of you know, we saw all these people coming from all over the region, from Tyre and Sidon, from all of Judea, down, even down from Jerusalem, coming up to be healed of sicknesses, be healed of diseases, be healed of, of you know, demon possession, right? And so this is where we catch up. And, and so this is where Jesus is now, we come back to Jesus preaching the kingdom. What do you say? He was traveling from town, one town and village to another, preaching and telling the good news, the gospel of what? The kingdom of God. This is Jesus's kingdom message made manifest. And my manifest, it just simply means undisclosed. To put it on display. To not hold any secrets back 
for Jesus to reveal his message and his mission fully, to lay it out there. Because he's been living the kingdom. Like he said, even to John. A while back, you know, John's disciples, remember a couple weeks ago, came to him and asked him, hey, are you the one that's supposed to come or we should we keep our eyes out? Right? And John's like, well, look around you. you know, he didn't say, yes, I am. Yes, he's, I'm here. Look, I'm the Messiah. Go and tell John you found the Messiah. Good job. Pat yourselves on the back. Give yourselves a cookie. You know, what did he say? He said, look at the works. Look at what I've been doing. He said, let my actions be a testimony of themselves. Be the, the lives that are changed be my testimony of my gospel, of my kingdom, and let those tell John what is, you know, the answer to his question. And so this is Jesus' kingdom message. So he's preaching this gospel, the good news. Now, there, there's this, uh, <coughs> so the, these armies, whenever the Roman army, the Roman legion would come into a, re a region, they would send their armies ahead and they'd send the, the herald even ahead of the Roman legion. And they would herald what? Repent and believe the gospel of Rome. You are now saved from having to live freely under your own governance. You are, congratulations, we are now your rulers. You know, like you know, you've seen 300, the movie 300, and you got Xerxes coming into town. I am a gracious God. Congratulations, you now have me as your God. But I'm a gracious God. You know, the big, tall, skinny, you know, big, deep, resounding voice, right? And they saw it as a privilege that they were taking over this nation, this, com this country. Because for them, it was like they were, you know, ex you know exceeding their land, their, their control, their power. But also, they felt like they really were giving people a better life for themselves by, you know, giving more, con more you know, uh, support and, and really the road system to that town and system of trade and commerce and connection all the way to Rome and a system of governance and control. So the Romans, they're like, yeah, this is, this is good news. That's why this is called the gospel of, of the good news of the Roman Empire, because we think it's good news. But what is Jesus' message? Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. That was his gospel. From the very beginning, look at Matthew chapter 4, after being uh, at the end of chapter 4 and beginning of 5, where he is talking about, um, he, you know, he was tempted in the wilderness, he fasted for 40 days, being tempted by the devil, and he comes back, and what does he say? And he immediately started to preach the gospel, repent, and believe the gospel of the kingdom of God. Because what, is, what was that message saying for the Romans? They were saying, we're coming into town, Believe it, which means, you know, repent, the word we call repent. This word repent is metanoia. We talked about this a little bit. Meta meaning change or shift, transform. Noyeo meaning mind or thinking or logic center. So what he's basically saying is the way that you've been thinking, yeah, that's not going to work anymore. So if you keep thinking that way, it's going to go bad for you. And so because we're the Roman Empire and we can destroy you. So you better repent of your own nationality and believe the gospel, pledge your allegiance. He's basically saying is pledge your allegiance to Rome. But Jesus is saying, change your mind about the reality of your, of your situation. You're not Roman, you're not under Roman control, you're not under Jewish control, you are under God's. Repent, change your mind, align yourself. It's kind of an alignment thinking. Align yourself with the kingdom of 
God. Why? What does Jesus do? Like the Romans come in, they're like, we're going to restore your, your cities, we're going to restore this, but we're going to tax the heck out of you. And you're actually going to be probably destitute in prison, you're going to be slaves, ex- exported, because you can't afford to live. And so you're just going to have, the only way you can afford to live is to be a slave. But what is Jesus' message? What is Jesus' kingdom like? What is his message and, his, and, and how is it being manifested in the world? Jesus is restoring life. His kingdom is about life. His kingdom is about restoration. His kingdom is about love. And knowing the true creator God of the universe. Because Jesus restores our lives to know him intimately and to love him fully. That's why Jesus came. That's the whole point of this passage. You look at all this stuff. He, he preaches this gospel from one town and village to the, to the next. You had the good news of the kingdom of God. And his 12 were with him. And also, and here's where I want to sit for the rest of our sermon today. The women. The women. The fact that they're mentioned is huge. The fact that women are mentioned in the Bible in this context, is astronomical. <laughs> what does it say? They were following him. Well, let's look at these different things. Every town and village, the twelve, and the women. Let's look at each one of these things. Because what is the message of Luke? Jesus is for everyone. The kingdom of God that he's preaching about is for everyone. Now I'm going to grab some water real quick. There you go. Love him fully. There you go. The gospel of the kingdom of God that Jesus is preaching about is for everyone. That's Luke's entire point. Now remember, a little side note as we come back to this, Luke and Acts are one work. They're one book, two volumes. He, Luke writes this, the book of Luke and the book of Acts basically at the same time. And how does he do that? He's going back and going and interviewing these different people that are involved in this situation. So how do we know about Mary Magdalene following Jesus and that, he, and, that, and that Jesus delivered her from seven demons? Mary Magdalene probably told him in the interview. Probably sat down over some coffee or tea or whatever, wine, you know, glass of wine at the table, maybe for a Shabbat dinner, and told Luke all about it. Told Luke all about her, her, her experience with Jesus. And so this is a whole, this whole thing, you know, the book of Luke and the book of Acts, again, remember, written by a Gentile for Gentiles to give a, 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 an orderly account of the life of Jesus. That's the whole basis of Luke. And so what we have here is, is Luke is pinpointing certain things, and the, and the reason he writes certain things is important. The reason why he wrote this paragraph is important to Luke's Luke's theology. Um, <clears throat> like Jesus is for everyone. So let's just look at that. Every town and village. He went everywhere. Jesus is for the crowds. In this, in this element, so Jesus is the one going from town and villages. And who's following him? The twelve and the women. We'll get to them in a little bit here. But Jesus is leading the way. 
And if you look at the, at the rest of, the, of Luke's you know, chapter, you know, his, his evangelism chapter, uh, we see Jesus commissioning the 12 uh, in chapter 9, and then we'll see him commission the 72 in chapter 10. And so it's this, Jesus is first showing the disciples how to do it. Hey, you want to see how to cast out a demon? Hey, let me show you. And uh, you, want to, you want to preach the gospel of the kingdom and see how to lead people to follow our, our little gathering here? Let me show you, right? Like our measurables at, as a church, you know, imitate, initiate, instigate. So this is the imitate phase. So Jesus is, is showing the disciples how to imitate what he's doing to share the gospel of Jesus. He's setting the groundwork for the 12, to, the sending out of the 12, and then the sending out of the 72, and then the send, sending out of the 120, and then the sending out of the dispersion of the thousands after he's ascended. And so that's the whole basis of, of, of Luke, is how the gospel exploded through the rest of the empire. But, so here we see this is Jesus laying the groundwork for evangelism in the kingdom of God. He's showing them how to do it. He has shown them the gospel of the kingdom, like we talked about, and they heard him preach the gospel of the kingdom. Well, now let's look at the 12. So he's spoken to the crowd, and now he's talking to the insiders, the chosen, right? They believed in the gospel of, of the kingdom, and what? They followed. They followed Jesus. They got up, they left everything, and they followed Jesus. They left the family, they left friends, they left you know, jobs and, and everything to follow Jesus. <coughs> They left everything. But here's the thing. God will walk with you, but he will not walk for you. To follow Jesus, you got to put one foot in front of the other. To follow what he's called you to do, to follow and obey, walk in obedience, you have to walk in obedience. You have to do the things that you see your Jesus doing. And so then, now let's, let's look at the women here. These were, for, for, for them, it's kind of like, in essence, they're imaging the, the outsiders, right? So they're not highly valued um, or even trusted. But, you know, there weren't, you know, their testimony wasn't believed. Like, you couldn't actually, as a woman, give, you know, a testimony as a witness in a trial because you weren't valued. You weren't trusted in that culture, which is crazy that who was the first people to see Jesus and who is written in the Bible of the first testimonies of the risen Jesus? Mary and Mary and more Marys and jo actually these women. The other women. It, talk, it talks about the other women were with them. So this is probably this group that we're talking about right here. You know, they, were, they followed Jesus. You know, only for, let me give you a picture of this too. So like last week, uh, so the, the woman was crying at Jesus' feet, weeping at Jesus' feet, and she just strips off her shirt. Scandalous. Okay, she, she pulls down her hair, which is the same thing in that culture. You know. So it's a, it's a scandal of, of a woman letting down her hair, but this was even more of a scandal. Right? That'd be like you have a one-bedroom house, and you invite someone over, you know, uh, you, you know you're a, a single man, and you invite a woman over to your house, and she sleeps in the bed with you. What does everyone think? Yeah, it's scandalous. It's shameful that this woman, these women, were following Jesus because where were they sleeping? Outside, in tents, next to men. This was a scandal in that culture. 
these women, however, if you look at all throughout Scripture, you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, specifically we talk, like we talked about the resurrection. There's, go look at Mark, and the women are talked about like three times just in the post-crucifixion narrative. They were at the cross, they were there you know, to, to, to go and anoint Jesus, and they were the first to see him risen. These were, and, and then continually after the resurrection, after the Gospels, these women continued to lead in the church. We'll get to that in, in a little bit here. But let's look at these. You know, they, what does it say about them in Mark 15, chapter, 40, uh, verse, chapter 15, verse 40? It says, they followed him and took care of him for his entire ministry. That was what these women were known for. They cared for Jesus. Mark chapter 15, verse 4. Like I said, they, they were at the cross. They weren't, so Mary, his mother, and John were at the foot of the cross. Um, but these women that it talks about in Mark chapter 15 says that they were watching from a distance. They were there, but they were watching from a safe distance. They weren't right up in, in the fro with all the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the, and, the, and, the, and the crowd and the Romans. They were watching from a distance. They watched Jesus die. They probably walked alongside of him at, you know, throughout the Via Dolorosa. Think about the passion of the Christ, right? Because um, he, even, he even spoke to them, don't weep for me, Jerusalem, weep for yourselves. He even spoke to the women when he was being led to be crucified. They also went to anoint his body the next morning. And they were like, um, did anyone bring a man to roll the stone away? How's this going to work? Can you imagine the looks on their faces when they thought about this? They got to the, they got around, you know, almost to the tomb, and they were like, "That's a great question, Mary. Who is going to roll the stone away?" Hmm, you know. <laughs> and so, but it's interesting. I just thought of this little aside here. The same thing with Abraham. Can you imagine the fa- the look on Isaiah on, on Isaac's face? Hey, Dad, where's the sacrifice? Oh, God will provide. Hey, God will provide. Dad, where's the sacrifice? Dad, where's the sacrifice? Uh, Dad, where's the sacrifice? <laughs> God will provide. What happened? Where, where, who was going to help us move, the, move the, the stone? And what happened? Who provided? God provided the way. He had already moved it. All they had to do was walk up to it, and God provided the sacrificial lamb that had died and is now, was now risen. They were the first witnesses and reporters of the resurrection. Mary was the first one to talk to Jesus, the risen Jesus. Luke is writing to show how Jesus brought a new kingdom. But why does it, think about that. He lumps in the kingdom of God with these women. The kingdom of Israel was not this kind of kingdom where women were following rabbis, where women were waiting upon, this, this, you know, upon men in this way, and following rabbis, learning, growing in their faith, being taught the Bible, being taught about faith. This is a new kingdom and a new kind of truth, a new kind of way, a new kind of life for all, for all people. Let's look at that. And also some women who had been, whoop, let's let's skip that one. Sorry. Mary called Magdalene. Seven demons had come out of her. 
Now, I want to make a differentiation here because often the, you know, theologians will lump this together, especially Catholic theologians will lump Mary Magdalene as the prostitute from chapter 7. And pfft, that's wrong. That, that is not accurate. And, and most scholars nowadays reject that completely. Uh, actually, the Catholic Church re re refuted that in the 1969 council. They, they refuted that and, and no longer believe that. But the damage was done. People still associate Mary Magdalene as the prostitute from Luke chapter 7, who came and anointed Jesus' feet with her tears, washed, her, washed it, you know, dried it with her hair, and anointed with oil. But this is not what he's talking about here, because this, this woman remains nameless in chapter 7, and Mary Magdalene has given her own explanation of who she is. She was not a prostitute. Um, I have a clip from the, from the Chosen, and I might show it at the end. Um, just, I love this quote. But it's it's just this this whole clip from from the, the Chosen. Um, but Mary gets her own distinct uh, introduction in this passage here. Um, in, in you know in here, and so she's healed of seven demons. Think about. Think about someone who is possessed by seven demons. <coughs> demons that are controlling her lives. Things that have happened to her over the years. Maybe things that were, were manifested because of sexual molestation or rape or abuse or being told lies. You're worthless. You, you're a piece of you're garbage. And maybe they kicked her out at a young age and she had to fend for herself. God knows the things that she had to do. Maybe she had to become a prostitute, prostitute for a time to survive. Or simply, you know, being like the man in the cave, just wandering around. Maybe had some friends that, that helped her and cared for her. Had a, a support system in the slums of Capernaum, right? But this was, you know, I knew a girl back in high school who was, who was raped for many, many years growing up as a child. And in high school, she started having these times where she would black out and physically she was reenacting the moment she was reenacting what was happening and then she would and then it would go away and she'd wake up and, and wonder what happened she had no clue that she passed out for about 20 minutes sometimes up to an hour but what happened she had buried this and it was happening to a different person a different personality so there was another personality a demon inside this girl 16 year old girl Maybe, perhaps maybe this is what we're talking about with Mary. Even in, in, in the clip of The Chosen, you know, everyone calls her Lilith. You know, Lilith is her name. And so, you know, and if you don't know much about Lilith, Lilith is actually a demonic spirit. And so everyone knew her by Lilith. And so the, the scene where Jesus calls her, he looks, he, she's walking out, out of the bar, and she's walking away from him, and he says, Mary, and she stops. Because he said her name. He called her by name. What does Isaiah say? I've called you by name and you are mine. And Jesus restores, heals her, restores her to life, restores her mental capacity, restores her heart. And the rest of the, of the, the TV show, that was the very first episode. And every episode since, she's just got a smile on her face. She is human again. That's what God does. He takes the brokenhearted, the hurt, the downtrodden, the rejected, and he makes them human again.
makes them whole, loved, known, seen. Like Jesus' question last week, do you even see this woman? The Pharisee didn't. The Pharisee was like, I mean that, fill in the blank. Like, no, do you actually see her? Do you see what God wants for her? Do you see the woman that God wants to make whole again? Now look in the mirror. Do you see yourself as someone that God sees? Do you see yourself as someone, you say, you are someone who God loves. You are mine. I have called you by name. And you are mine. Because that's what God wants for you. That is the kind of restoration that we're talking about. That you can look yourself in the mirror and say, Jesus, I am yours. You called me and I'm yours. Who else was there? Joanna, the wife of Chusa, Herod's steward. This is, look, this is like a prominent, like not, you know, the, this word steward is probably like a political figure, like his like right-hand dude. So this is like, we're talking like the like governor, right? Or even like, even, you know, senator, a senator or a state senator or, or personal assistant to great Gianforte or something like that. Like even, even last night, I met this, the, the personal assistant to Senator Steve Daines at a meeting last night. And so, get, you know, that the, kind of the whole, you know, point of contact and stuff like that. So it's like, you know, six, six steps of separation, right? So probably met him who knows, knows Steve Daines, who, who like shook the, the hand of Trump or and Biden or, you know, like these different people around the world, you know. Can you even say that, you know, you know I, I know the, the assistant who knows Steve Daines, who knows Joe Biden, who knows now has shook the, shook the hand of, of Putin. So I'm within six steps of separation. And you're now in six steps of separation from Putin. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you very much. Kim Jong-un. There you go. Your congratulations. <laughs> Make it even better. <laughs> How about one step of separation from <laughs> Maybe a few more steps of separation from certain people. Right. But this is Chusa. This is you know, the, the wife of Chusa, jo- Joanna. Six steps of separation. You know, two steps of separation from Herod himself the ruler, and then he knew Caesar. These are high-level pe- high people. Jesus didn't just attract the ruffians. Amen. amen that he attracted the ruffians. Can I get an amen for that one? Woo! Right? <laughs> but he also loves to save the political. Thank the Lord. We need some more people who are political getting saved. Or people, some people, more people who are saved getting born political amen. in that realm. Taking the gospel to Jesus. Right? not being more political in the church, taking the gospel to those areas, right? Because we need life around us. We need life in our city. We need life in our state. We need life in our country. And this is Jesus doing that. He's transforming the, the political life in Jerusalem, in Judea, in all Judea, right? He is forming a new kind of, of nation, a new kind of kingdom, a new way, a new way to do life in the people of God, right? They talk about Susanna. I have no idea who Susanna, Susanna is. That was, that's the only time that we see that word in all scripture. <laughs> Besides that, you know, Susanna, hey, you're in the Bible. Yeah. Woo. Wrong, but yeah, I, <laughs> 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 yeah. 
Yeah, Susie's in the Bible. And many others. Many, let me look at that. Many other, who, what? Women. There was a crowd of them. There was a crowd of women who followed Jesus. Maybe Peter's wife. Right? Maybe some of the other disciples' wives were following and ministering with Jesus. This was Jesus establishing a new way of being in the church. What does it say in Galatians? This is, this is what the new kingdom is like. For those of you who are baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. There's no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male and female, since you are all one in Christ Jesus. Jesus is changing everyone. Jesus is shifting the minds of everyone. He is healing and restoring everyone. I love this phrase. Humans are great fixer-uppers, and Jesus is the ultimate flipper. He is the ultimate Chip and Joanna Gaines. <laughs> right? Can I go, woo woo, from my fellow Waco folks? Woo woo. No, not so much. We, we left as soon as possible, right? <laughs> we got out of the Waco suck. Woo! <laughs> Humans are great fixer uppers. For Jesus, it's like, this is no big. I can do this. Why? Why does Jesus do that? Why does Jesus fix people up? Why, is he, why does he flip our lives? Because Jesus restores our lives to know him intimately and to love him fully. Love, and think about that. Loving and serving go hand in hand, right? Loving and serving Jesus go hand in hand. Mary served Jesus out of the overflow of her love for Jesus. Like we, we can see the act in, of this woman, of the, the woman of the city in, the, in, in Luke chapter 7, of she was forgiven much, and so she gave an act of love to Jesus, but we don't know if she followed. Maybe she was one of these many others, right? Maybe she was one of these many others that followed Jesus. We don't know. I'm praying that she was. I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that she was, right? But Mary loved and devoted her entire life to this man now ministering to him, so much so that she is in our Bible multiple times. We're still talking about her today. You know, on a TV show I watch, like someone was like, you know, why are you like reviewing frozen pizzas? Well, you're talking about it. Oh, yeah, yeah that's right. Yeah, it's true. You know, good point. <laughs> she loved and served Jesus so much and so, here's the thing, so well and so faithfully that she's in the Bible alongside figures like Rahab and Abraham and Moses and Isaac and Jacob in the same book. Can you imagine being included in the same book as Jesus? In the same sentence as Jesus. And the fact that she was the first one to see and to talk to and to touch Jesus after he resurrected. Don't ever let people tell you that Jesus doesn't have a great plan, great plan for your life. He, does. he absolutely does. He wants to restore our lives so that we can know him intimately and to love him fully. Really, those words are interchangeable. To know him fully and to love him intimately. Right? These women followed and ministered to Jesus out of love for, for him, what he, for what he had done for them. And also, think about this, because of what they had seen Jesus do. 
right? They've been following. They, they were there. They know what Jesus did for them, but then they've been able to watch and, and see what Jesus is doing for everyone else. And this is why I'm so excited for us to get a, a baptismal, is to see people's lives being changed, to see people come to faith in Jesus Christ. And by seeing someone come to faith in Jesus and proclaim their faith, that we will be inspired to go and say, man, that was exciting. Let's do it. Let's see more. Amen. Let's see more people come to Jesus and come and get baptized. I wonder if I could do the Duncan. That'd be fun. Absolutely. Like, I would love to go and, and see each one of you guys going out there and, and ministering to your friends, sharing the gospel with them, seeing them come to faith in Jesus, and then you come and you baptize your friend. Amen. You baptize your sister. You baptize your daughter. You baptize each other. We're baptizing people in the name of Jesus Christ, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and inspiring us to go and see more lives being changed. These women saw lives being changed. And they were inspired to see more. Are you inspired to see more? Have you seen Jesus work in your life and now you're like, I got to tell that person down the street. I got to tell that guy at work. I got to tell my dad. I got to tell my fill in the blank. I got to tell my, my, uh, the residents in the hotel. I got to tell my people. I got to tell people at the Belgrade Business Link. My joke is always every time is like, is the, you know, I, you know we, I work in a place where, you know, you know, the, co- you know, the cost of it, we're, we're running a special, it costs you everything. Amen. Your entire life. But in exchange, God gives you everything. God gives you joy. God gives you purpose. God restores your life to know him fully and to love him fully. Love, know him intimately and to love him fully. So my question is, what is hindering you? What is hindering I can't blank because, you know, I can't blank God because blank. I can't serve God. I can't tell others. I can't blank because blank. Because I'm not a pastor. That's the pastor's job to go and share the gospel. I'm just a stay-at-home mom. I'm just a a student. I'm just a this. I'm just a blue-collar worker. I'm just a what? A fan. I'm just a fan. Maybe that's your excuse. You know, I'm not smart, articulate, and educated enough. And maybe our, our fear is, I don't want to misrepresent the gospel. I think that's the number one lie that the enemy tries to dangle over us. You're just going to ruin it. You're just going to make people hate God. You're just going to make people hate the church. So I'm just going to be silent. Because if, if I'm bold and I tell people about the gospel, they might turn and not like me, which is not liking Jesus. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to keep people from Jesus. I feel like it's more, more like a hindrance to the gospel than a help for the gospel. But let me tell you this. These two things are filling our lives. And I would say that these are probably the two biggest things that are robbing us of our ability is apathy and busyness are robbing the church of her power, her joy, her boldness, her works, and her effects. And I included each one of those words for a very specific reason. If you can, write those down. I'm just going to leave it on this slide for a while. It's also on my Facebook. (laughs) Apathy and busyness are robbing the church. We're apathetic. 
sitting at home being able to do absolutely nothing or just simply busying our lives with fill in the blank. Now, this isn't a, a you know trying to heap a judgment on on people who are not here, but why are not why are people not here tonight? Why are our own people not in these seats? Busyness, not caring. Where are God's people? And, and I don't want it to come down too too much as, as too harsh of a critique on that, because there's things in our lives, and I, I fully understand that. I know that there's things going on, right? Family is absolutely important. But how important is into the life of our church family is the church. So what is hindering us from even reaching out to our own people? Loving our own people. Loving the people who should be in these seats. Like we saw people on on Monday night at the home church, right? And we see this, this, this... this great joy in all of Scripture. We see Jesus transforming lives and transforming lives. And we get so excited when we read these passages and when when we think about Mary Magdalene and Jesus calling her name and going and and laying his hands on her and the seven demons fleeing and her opening her eyes for the first time as a woman that is completely free and healed and looking her Savior in the eyes. I'm inspired by that. So what is hindering us from being powerful, joyful, bold workers and effect, you know, creating God's effects, bringing the kingdom of God into this world, <clears throat> living and being the kingdom of God in this world? Because Jesus restores our lives to know him intimately and to love him fully. And God wants to do that for you. And God wants to do that for others. God wants to do that for our city. And so as we think about that today, think about these few questions as, as we go into our time of communion. What is something that you take away from this? Just as we, as we take communion, just contemplate these, these questions. And I'm going to give us a few minutes to just Talk about these things around your table. You're not at a table, or at least not at a full table. Maybe you can shift over to a table and just talk about these, these questions for just a few minutes as we, as we wrap up our time today. But I want us to think about that question. What is hindering me? Fear? What is it fearful? Maybe you need to spend time with, with God. Say, God, what is hindering me? What is hindering me from going and sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with others? Show me these things. Because I want to see people respond to faith like Mary. I want to see people respond to the faith. Like this woman. Like the the widow and her son and the whole city of Nain. I want to see you respond. I want to see others respond like the, the Samaritan woman at the well. I want to see people respond like the blind man who had been born blind and was now finally able to see for the first time in his life in his 30s. The guy who had been lame all of his life, paralyzed, is now up and running and dancing and jumping and seeing the excitement. God, I want to see that. 
I want to see that transformation. I want to see you do those things in my life and the lives and the life of others around me. So asking ourselves that question, what is hindering us from serving God in his kingdom work? And then that last question, where do you sense God wanting to use you in the world today uh, for his kingdom work? So let's pray together and we'll take communion. God, we just thank you for this time. We pray that your spirit would take the words that you wanted, wanted us to hear and to let them take root in our lives to encourage us and to inspire us and to to drive us, Lord Jesus, for your better future for us. To drive us, Lord, to love our family, our church family, our our home family, our blood family, and Lord, the the family to bring into your heavenly family. Teach us how to love like you love. Teach us how to reach out and to minister like you reach out and minister. Teach us how to restore people's lives through the power of your Holy Spirit as you restored people's lives. God, we need you. We can only only do anything that we do through, through you, Christ. We pray that you would do it here, that you would restore our lives, that you would restore your church, and that, God, you would set us on mission with the gospel of the kingdom of God. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen.